0: Okay. How you guys doing? Good, good. All right. Uh different setting today. A little bit. Uh not as uh not as personal, but it's okay. Hopefully hopefully we'll get through it uh nice and quick. Um in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. One God. Amen. Um You guys know the series, Spiritual Warfare. Not the best topic. Actually it's like very discouraging. It hurts, it's painful. Um, but I think we just need a different outlook on it. And, um, to the group, I, I you know, the city meeting group who put this together. Um, it's a really super important topic obviously to discuss, but I think also the mindset towards it is really, really important. So it's not just the topics we're discussing, but it's also kind of like the equation behind the topic, the, the way we approach it is super, um, super important. So this week, um, I was asked to speak on preparing for battle, knowing your commander um, and enemy. And I'm going to be honest. I have a problem with the title. I have a problem with it. Preparing for battle insinuates that we're not in it yet. All right? That, like, it's always something that's coming. And I think, if we're honest, is we're always in the battle. The battle, like, started before we were even born. And the battle will continue forever until the second coming. Knowing your commander and and enemy. I like knowing. But again, I think it's really, really important that it's beyond knowing. We all know things. Satan knows God. We all know what spiritual warfare is. But it's also understanding. There's a difference between knowing and understanding. And what's really, really important in our Christian walk is understanding our commander and understanding our enemy. Last week, Archdeacon uh, Mark Solomon, he kicked off the series um, and he spoke on um, the victories and the struggle, I think. Um, and he shared tons of wonderful points. And if you haven't had a chance to listen to that talk, um, all the city meeting talks are recorded and they're in the email. And they're on our, um, our podcast. So if you haven't listened to it, please go listen to it because it really sets the tone um, for the series. And I, I just want to talk about two points that he covered that I think are really, really important that I don't want us to overlook um, or forget. He talked about tons of good things, but two topics specifically. Because it's really important to this series and how we move forward in our mindset towards uh, this series. Before I get to the two points, the basic understanding of what a relationship with God is. What is the Bible? What is the story of like redemption? It's all about the relationship between man and God. You want to summarize the Bible, relationship between man and God. Which means it's personal. It's not relationship between God and his people or a church or a community. It's between God and man, you, you and him, and everything else around it either deteriorates that relationship or builds up that relationship. Everything else are just external factors that impact ultimately what's the most important thing, which is me and God, which is you and God. And Archie spoke on that a little bit. Last week. The first thing that I want to point out that he talked about last week that was really important that sorrow is everywhere. Sorrow is everywhere. We can't escape sorrow. There's no place that we can go to. And he talked about about like the travel industry, right? Like how they sell, like, you know, the dream vacation, escaping to a place. Sorrow is everywhere. Only except one place. And he shared a quote and says, there never was and never will be a place on earth free from sorrows. The only sorrowless place possible is the heart. When the Lord is present there. That's really important when we talk about mindset. So what are we searching for? And where are we searching for it? What are we searching for, and where are we searching for it? Because there's only one place where sorrowless, where sorrow is not present, if the Lord is, and that is in, in the heart. The second point that he mentioned was, "A saint is a sinner. A saint is a sinner. It's not about in our Christian walk, achieving a certain level of spirituality. It's not about winning and losing. It's about gaining Christ. It's coming to a realization that I need to walk with Christ in my struggles. That's the difference. The struggle will be there either way, with or without Christ. The question is, who do I want to do? I want to do it alone, or do I want to do it with Christ? Because why? Because that's where he will then be present in the heart, which is so many things, so many things like play out. In both scenarios, with or without him, the struggle is the victory. The goal isn't to win, it's to struggle. And he mentioned that very clearly last week. The goal is not about to win. It's not about like every struggle. It's like, did I win or lose this? Did I win or lose this battle? That is like, that's so depressing if we're going to live our life that way. And we all do. I'm first to raise my hand. I go through the day and like, failed on that one, failed on that one, won that one, failed on that one. My record sucks, I'm three and 10. <laughs> and it's like it's so like depressing to live that way. So the, it's not about wins and losses. The goal is the struggle. And he mentioned one last point, and he said, "The really important thing is the time between the fall and the rise, which I loved. the time between the fall and the rise, meaning like, I fell. And like, how long does it take for you to stand up again? Is it a day? Is it an hour? Is it 50 years? And there are people that, that live that way and have lived that way for a very long time of being able, not being able to forgive themselves. So that was in a nutshell last week. Like I said, this week is about knowing your commander And knowing your enemy. With that said, um, I want to spend about 10% on the ladder, which is the enemy, and 90% on the commander, Christ Himself. Because we, as believers, I believe, and Archie mentioned this last week, spend way too much time, energy, and focus on our enemy and our own defeat, in our own demise to the enemy. In each of our lives we have a throne. We have like an internal mental throne for each of us, whether we realize it or not. There is a throne and there is someone, some things, some sin, some relationship, some job that sits on the throne. And that's what we praise. And that's what we worship. And for most of us, it is Christ. It is Christ who sits on the throne. But one thing we don't realize, and it's, it's not something that we intentionally do, it's totally unconscious, is that when we fall, we realize, or we don't realize, is that Christ then is removed off the throne. And sometimes what we think is when Christ is removed from the throne, even sometimes we choose it, like we know what we're stepping into, and it's like, like God, just wait here for a second. And when I'm back, I'm going to put you back on. And we think the throne sits vacant when we choose to take him off. The truth is the throne is never vacant. The throne is always, always occupied. Whether it be by Christ, but when I choose to remove him, we unconsciously make a decision to put something else on that throne. Whatever it is. Whatever it is in our life. Because that throne is what we worship. And whatever sits on the throne in a moment in time is what we worship in that moment in time.
1: Whatever it is.
0: Until we come to the realization, I need to get right with God. And then it becomes like a quote unquote, I feel right with God. I feel okay with God. And it becomes an emotional roller coaster of me choosing when Christ is on the throne and when Christ is not on the throne. Four facts about the enemy. Here's the the 10% because that's one of our issues we focus too much on the enemy. Okay, four facts. He wants you to think more and less of yourself. Confusing, right? That's Satan. That's Satan. He wants to confuse the heck out of you. At times, he wants you to think more of yourself. At times, he wants you to think less of yourself, more. I'm the man. I'm the best to ever do it. No one's better than me, which leads to pride, which leads to judgment, justification of praising myself or then judging someone else to put myself on my own throne. Or less of yourself. You suck at life. You don't know what you're doing. You're a failure. You can never bounce back from this. What you did, you're done. You're gone. That's fact number one. Fact number two about the enemy. He desires your attention. Knowing if your attention and mind is occupied by yourself or by him. It's not focused on God. Number three, he uses your perception of the truth to fuel sin, guilt, and shame. He uses your perception of the truth. Because your perception of the truth is your truth. may not be reality, but it's your perception of the truth. And because it's your perception of the truth, it's your reality. But it does not define, again, Christ's absolute truth. Satan loves to use that. And last, he desires to isolate you. He desires to take you on -on one-on-one. For all my basketball it's like when you know someone's guarding you and you're like, clear out. Clear out, I'm going to eat this person alive. Just clear out. Satan desires to isolate you and put you in a place where you are alone. Where you are alone.
2: Depressed yet? We're going to change the tone. The
0: image of God. Origin says this each one of our souls contains a well of living water. It has in it a buried image of God. It is this well that the hostile powers have blocked up with earth, piled up, piled up on the image. But now that Christ has come, rid by the word of God, of that great pile of earth that was weighing you down, let the image of the heavenly shine out in you. The maker of this image is the Son of God. He is a craftsman of such surpassing skill. That his image may indeed be obscured by neglect, but never destroyed by evil. The image of God remains in you always.
1: This is absolute
0: truth. Not about your perception of the truth. What is truth? Truth is the image of God is buried in us. It's in us. It's inscribed in us. And when other things are sitting on the throne just the pile of earth, but it never goes away. It never disappears. It's never taken from us. It's not something that is like given and can be taken away. It's there. It's part of
1: who we are.
0: Ambrose of Milan says, he rightly returns to himself because he departed from himself. For he who returns to God Restores himself to himself, and who he who departs from Christ rejects himself from himself. Identity. Identity again, reinforcing this image of God that is in you. That recognize you at your core, you at your base, is not away from God. We commonly think that, like at like par, at like normal level, is I'm away from God. And then, like, God blesses and blesses and blesses, and then I'm, like, in his presence. It's a natural way of thinking of things. That's not true. The reality is, is when I reject Christ, I reject myself. Does that make sense? Like, like we're literally, like, rejecting ourselves when we reject Christ. That's how much, that's how much we are built in his image and likeness. That's how much he's inscribed in us. That when I'm with him, I'm true to myself. There are an infinite number of topics, of course, we can focus on in regarding knowing our commander or understanding our commander. But today I want to focus on two concepts. The first one is understanding the sovereignty of God. We hear this a lot, sovereignty of God. I don't know if we really truly understand that. Number two is understanding that Christ desires you to be an eyewitness. In order to be an eyewitness, I had to have been present to see something, right? Or I had to to go and see something to say, I was an eyewitness, right? Like you go to court and like your, your most powerful like layers of evidence is your who? Your eyewitnesses. Like the people that saw it, firsthand or the people that are like that go to a game versus watch a game. It's like, it's a different reality, right? An eyewitness in understanding our commander. It's more than just realizing being an eyewitness is not just going to church on Sunday. It's not just involving myself in a service. It's not just coming to the city meeting. Becoming an eyewitness, a true eyewitness, is a true intentional and persistent action. It's a proactive, like, moving forward. And Christ makes this very clear when he says, ask and it'll be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Ask, seek, knock. It's proactive. It's moving forward. It's more, again, than the par level of just showing up to a place. He doesn't ask us to show up. He asks us to partake, to move forward. The invitation to be an eyewitness is so personal that it could only be done by you and you alone. Like I said in the very beginning, what's what's the Bible? The relationship between God and man, God and you. Look at the sacraments of the church. Does the priest take communion for us all? No. Every single one of us have to take communion. Repent and confess. Does the priest confess for us all? No. I have to go to confession. I have to go take the body and blood of Christ. That's the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant. That's the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. That redemption and salvation was for me was for me. And so I am called to be an eyewitness. And look at look at what St. Peter says here. Second Peter 1.16. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But were what? Eyewitnesses of his majesty. But we're eyewitnesses of his majesty. It's like I was saying earlier, imagine listening to a sporting event on the radio versus watching it. Imagine watching it on TV versus being at the game itself. We're all listening and hearing the same thing, but what's the experience like? It's different, right? Like every one of those things, the radio versus TV versus being like, it has just a different experience, and this is what this is what the apostles are talking about here. Look at Paul also after the resurrection, he says, and he was seen by Cephas, by Caiaphas, then by the twelve. After he was seen by over five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After he was seen by James, and then the apostles. Then, last of all, he was seen by me. Wasn't just the faith of the others, wasn't just about like the spirituality of the others. What was so important in this passage is that last of all, Paul is saying, I saw him.
2: He was seen by me. Being an eyewitness
0: is abandoning living our life through the faith of others i e our parents right like some of us like like we experience faith through like my mom or my dad or my uncle who's a priest or like i have a connection with a monk at st anthony's monastery and my life is fulfilled because i know this monk who has a great relationship with god and i'm here doing nothing and like that's that's my like status quo of like my faith is I know this person. I know this person. Being an eyewitness is abandoning that life saying, look, that's great. That's great. We're often infatuated by like the spirituality and the love affairs of God and his saints or God and Abuna or God and whoever. But there comes a point where it's like, I want that. I don't want to listen to the the game on the radio. I don't even want to just like watch the game. I want to play in the game. I want to play in the game. The most dangerous thing is we end up becoming victimized bystanders. That's not the story of redemption. The story of redemption has always been about a constant overflowing of love between God and man. Man falls, God loves. Man falls, God loves. Man falls, God loves. So what's the problem? I think. I think for a lot of us, it's we're afraid. We're afraid to become eyewitnesses because we're afraid of the potential calling that comes to that. I think we're afraid of what could come with facing ourselves in the presence of God. This idea of being exposed or failing. So we begin to paint our own picture of failure versus success in our own life, which is obviously very much influenced by, by society. I love this guy, early Christian writer. You'll see a few quotes from him here. All our afraid or anxiety and worry is caused by calculating without God is we, again, start painting our own picture of success and failure. And we start our perception, and our we, we don't realize we're so influenced by the people around us, even sometimes by our own church community, of a certain status that we have to hold in order to be considered successful, to be considered great. Also Chambers here saying, all that anxiety, all that worry, Comes from one place. It is trying to calculate, calculate what? Calculate victory, our perception of victory without God Himself. The Almudi, our greatest
1: fear should not be of failure, but of succeeding at things that don't really matter. You want to take one thing from today? Take this. Take this.
0: Our fear should not be about facing God or what he's going to call out in our life or what he's going to expose in our life or what he's going to ask us to change in our life. Because that's struggle. That's good. We've changed the perception of that, that the struggle is not bad, that me battling and failing and and getting back up is actually all good. We're past the point of like, that is bad. Okay, it's not about winning and losing. We're past that point now. So now the goal is, what are we doing? Where's our effort and energy going into? Is it going towards things and succeeding at things that really don't matter? Which is, which is what leads us to then the sovereignty of God, understanding the sovereignty of God, because they go, they go hand in hand. Okay, the sovereignty of God plus plus
1: the sovereignty of God plus
2: sorry the um not a total brainwa
1: being an eyewitness equals obedience ultimately is what leads to
2: obedience. Max Collado
0: said, we can't run the world, but we can entrust it to God. Peace is within reach, not for lack of problems, but for the presence of what? Sovereign Lord. Rather than rehearse the chaos of the world, calculating without God, we can choose to rejoice in the Lord's sovereignty. How do we rejoice? Philippians 4, 4 says, rejoice in the Lord always. How is that even possible? Always. How are we supposed to do that in when we're talking about spiritual warfare? It's important to understand that rejoicing itself doesn't mean to be in a constant state of excitement. We have to redefine everything. That's part of the battle, that's part of the struggle that we're going through. Is we need to take how the world has defined certain words, and put them in light of our own Christian walk. Which is naturally, we think, like, the best way to sometimes describe, like, a word is by the extreme opposite. So when we say rejoice in spiritual warfare, it doesn't make sense. That makes absolutely no sense. You say, what's, define perfection. You're going to say, no sin. Right? the extreme opposite sometimes sometimes words are so difficult to define that you got to go the extreme opposite to even give it a taste of what it is spiritual warfare should equal rejoice should equal rejoicing why we redefine it rejoicing is about a deep remembering it's a calmness in the storm it's remembering the lord is here you know talk about the sovereignty of god sovereignty of god is like do we really believe That he's in control? Do we really believe that he's present? Do we really believe that all things are in his hands? That all things are in his hands? There's nothing out of his control. Everything that happens, he allows. Good and bad. Great and evil. He allows. It's remembering that the Lord is here always. It's remembering that the Lord is in control always. James 5, 10 and 11 says, My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. That's that's super, super important. Specifically, you have heard the perseverance of Job and seen the in, the end intended by the Lord. You guys know the story of Job, right? Like in a nutshell, what's the story of Job?
2: hmm
0: yeah couldn't have said it better job lost everything right like like job in one day was stripped of everything of his wealth 500 yoke of oxen like 500 donkeys 300 3,000 camels uh, his kids were killed by a windstorm like all this like craziness and then it didn't stop right then his wife is like yo bro commit suicide like just just kill yourself
1: right like like don't tell me you had a bad day
0: like like don't tell me don't tell me you had a bad day this guy like did nothing wrong he did nothing wrong
1: how did he keep it together like how did he keep it together james's verse is really important He said, you heard the perseverance of Job
0: and seen, seen, eyewitness, and seen the end intended by God, the big picture of God. What's God's intentions for the big picture? And Job, in the midst of all this, knew those things. Job's character was really important because it had one specific thing that, like, today, hopefully we can, like, take from. Just he feared God. He feared God and he rejected evil. And he avoided, It's was really important, he avoided evil. Proverbs says the beginning of wisdom is what? The fear of the Lord. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. But here we go again. We got to redefine something. Because naturally, I say fear. You're going to tell me what? Got to be scared of God. All right? Fear is, got to fear God. Got to be scared, scared of God. That's not the fear. Here, to fear the Lord means to respect who He is, what He says, and what He does. That's the fear of God: who He is, what He says, and what He does. It's not like the fear of a slave to like a master, um, but more like a child to a father. A respect that leads to obedience. There's also also chambers again. That when you fear God, you fear nothing else, whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. Choose your fear. Choose your fear. It's important to remember that Job didn't know what was going on behind the scenes in his trial. He had no idea that there was this incredible war between God and Satan happening he had no insight to that he could only see the distress continuing he could only see his friends turning on him he could only see his wife turning on him he could only see his health deteriorate over time yet job endured why he had a deep remembering there was that deep remembering of the sovereignty of god that he is always in control and that he understood the ultimate plan
1: The ultimate plan
0: for Job was God made a covenant with Israel that he would bless them if they would obey his laws. And Job's obedience led to that, led to that victory for them. So I said in the middle, sovereignty plus eyewitness equals what? Obedience. Sovereignty plus eyewitness equals obedience. Job's obedience led to Israel's blessings. What will your obedience lead to? What will your obedience lead to for your family? What will your obedience lead to for Christ the Redeemer? Like for your work, for whatever it is. We talk about the personal relationship with God. This is about me. It's about me and Him. It's about being me and Him. It's about me becoming an eyewitness. It's about me trusting in His sovereignty. And naturally, naturally, what's going to happen is obedience starts flowing. And with obedience comes blessings. And obedience comes blessings not only for you, but the community around you and the people around you. Glory be to God
1: forever.
2: Amen. Any questions, comments? Sorry? Sorry?
0: Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. So all of those, so did Paul encounter
1: Christ himself?
0: Yes. That's, that's really, really important, right? Because often we say, we wish we could have, like, lived at the time. It would have been easier, right, for me to believe. It would have been easier for me to, like understand christ if i actually lived with him but paul himself didn't live like he didn't experience christ physically on the way to damascus wasn't was a moment in his life it was a part of, of his journey right but it wasn't the moment it's really important because then you're going to say well god appeared to appeared to paul it wasn't the moment that defined his ministry right it, it wasn't It wasn't the moment that defined Paul's life. It's actually a very, like, it's a a turning point in his life. It was what Paul did after that actually defined his ministry. Great point.
2: Anything else?
1: but
0: he works with people who are willing to be worked with. Like I have to, like, I can't say like God works with you and not me. Like actually, like that is, that's actually number one, very prideful of me, right? Because it becomes a personal choice to be willing to be worked with. Like I have to be a team player in a sense, right? I can't expect God to work through me and with me if I am not willing to look towards him, right? One of the, one of the facts of the enemy is what he wants my attention. He wants my, my, my time, my energy. If I choose to focus on the wrong things, then I'm missing everything else. It's, I was given an example of like, you never see a Camry on the road and then you own a Camry. Let's, for this church, let's talk about Teslas. You never see a Tesla on the road, and then you own a Tesla, and all you see is Teslas on the road, right? Like, the opportunities in our life are there every second of the day. We just don't see it. And a great, actually, a great depiction of this, I heard Embangelo speak on this once, is the burning bush, is where are the burning bushes in your life? Like, Moses didn't have to stop the burning bush. He could have kept walking. There would have been a consequence for him never turning to the burning bush. There was also consequences for him going to the burning bush. Consequences are good and bad. What would have happened to the people of Israel if Moses never responded to the to the burning bush? We would never know. Thank God. Thank God we'll never know. So the question is, the burning bushes in our lives... Do we see them, number one? And number two, do we approach them in the fear of God, where we take off our shoes and we go
1: and we say, how will you work with me?
2: Anything else? Glory be to God, forever. Amen.